1: This is the Read to Lead Podcast, episode 380.
0: better to run towards what you want rather than to run away from what you fear. And often what we want and what we fear are one and the same. But we get into our comfort zones and it's really easy to just say, I'll just stay with the status quo. I won't push myself to go outside of my comfort zone.
1: Do your employees approach each workday with a want to or have to mindset? What might be possible if they embraced their jobs as a noble calling? What if they found the workplace to be irresistible and therefore unleavable? Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. How do we do that? Well, we interview another successful and inspiring business book author each week, and we talk about their latest book and their unique insights on a number of topics. Why? Because... I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Today, we're joined by author Jamie Lutz, who's written a book called Pathway to Purpose, Big Ideas for Fueling Irresistible Corporate Cultures. I'll be asking Jamie to share why do so many people experience work in negative ways. Jamie's take on the effects of traditional recognition and motivation what it means to recruit exceptional talent with a relational approach, and plenty more. Over the coming weeks, I thought I'd share some tips from my upcoming book out August 31st called Read to Lead, the simple habit that expands your influence and boosts your career. In fact, I was sharing the tip I'm going to share with you today with a guest, a future guest of the show, and in her words, she was blown away by this simple tip. And it's a tip that I use When I want to, say, get through a book a little faster than usual, which is important on its own, but also when I want to better retain what I'm reading. And that tip is simply this. I often will combine two different mediums. What do I mean? Well, uh, I think back to the book I first tried this with. That was Brendan Burchard's High Performance Habits, which is a great book. I highly recommend, by the way. And I had a physical copy of that book, and I decided to also order. I have an Audible monthly subscription anyway, so I get to choose a book with my Audible account every month. So I got the Audible version of Brendan's book, and I let Brendan read it to me as I followed along. And there's something that happens with many of us as adults when we read to ourselves is we greatly slow down the process because we do this thing called sub-vocalization, right? Where we, in our minds, we sound out every single word. We were taught to read out loud and, and, and for good reason when we were kids. But when we continue to do that on into adulthood, it means it can take forever. It can be a slog to get through books. And I find that one of the ways I can sort of kick that sub-vocalization habit, which is still hard, Is have the book read to me. Now, you may be thinking, Jeff, I don't know if you realize this, but each word is being said out loud when you listen to it. Yes, that's true. You're exactly right. But with an audiobook, we can speed it up, can't we? And I'll often speed it up to 1.5 or 1.75 or maybe sometimes even two times speed. And we can do that because we can listen and comprehend far faster, far speedier than we can sound out those words. And so not only do I get through books faster, but because I'm consuming them two different ways simultaneously, I'm hearing the message and at the same time seeing the message on the page, I find that I retain what I read far more readily. Now, there's another side benefit. To this, I have tried to learn as I read to not take notes until I've at least finished a section, optimally an entire chapter, then actually take written notes. In the interim, I will make marks in the book like a star for something important or maybe a question for something I'm not sure I understand or I need to research further or maybe it's something I don't agree with potentially and then maybe a cue for a quote that I want to uh, go back to. And I find that you know making these marks is easier to do when you're listening to the book and following along at high speed because that's all you have time to do. So it keeps me focused on following along and just making those markings for now, knowing that once I finish a chapter optimally, I'll get back and, and take more deep, intense notes. If you haven't tried that, again, I highly recommend it. Listen to a book. At one and a half or 1.75 or two times speed, while you're following along with either the physical or ebook version, and I think you'll probably see the same results that I have. It's a lot of fun too. Hey, for a limited time, you can pick up my book, Read to Lead: The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career for 40% off from my publisher. To find out more about this and to get $500 in bonuses when you pre-order, just go to Read to Lead book. Dot com. You'll be shown a number of retailers to choose from, but when you choose Baker Publishing, you'll get that 40% off. Oh, and by the way, they'll send you an autographed book plate from me and Jesse, my co-author, to go in your book. Again, that's readtoleadbook.com for tips like what I shared today and so much more. <laughs> Jamie Lutz is a noted author, speaker, and facilitator with expertise in the disciplines of organizational culture change, customer loyalty, and employee engagement. He currently serves as Managing Director of Service Excellence with ChenMed, a healthcare company committed to transforming care of senior citizens in the neediest populations. He previously worked in numerous leadership and performance excellence roles for the Orlando Magic, Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. Home Bank Mortgage, Forest Performance Group, and Atlanta Capital. Some big names there for sure. His new book is called The Pathway to Purpose, Big Ideas for Fueling Irresistible Corporate Cultures. A delight to have you here, Jamie. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast.
0: Jeff, I am delighted to be here. I've been a huge fan of your show for a long time and the opportunity to, to be a guest myself is uh is a bucket list item so thank you so much.
1: Oh well, that's awesome. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not but way back in the gosh the first few months of read to lead we had Pat Williams. No.
0: I need to go back and watch that one or listen to it, yeah.
1: Of course, Orlando magic legend in the yes. front office there. Uh, well, let's start uh, with regard to your book with a definition. How do you define corporate culture? Because I think this definition is going to kind of help set the tone for the rest of our conversation.
0: Yeah, and it, you know, there are obviously, culture's a buzzword, and there's a lot yeah. of uh, definitions flying around about culture. But for me, I, I try to simplify it in the book. And, and, and really, it's the collective beliefs And not just beliefs, but the collective beliefs and actions of an organization. And obviously, the employees are the ones that create that culture. Another definition that I've heard that I really like is what's really going on behind the boss's back? Because it's one thing to have a culture when you're in plain view, but what does it look like? What are your employees doing when you're not looking, when the leaders are not looking? And so... um, You know that you've got a great culture when there doesn't have to be this iron kind of fist that's overseeing the organization at all moments.
1: You know, I read numerous studies and I'm sure most are familiar with the fact that so many of us are disengaged when it comes to work. Uh, to varying degrees. But, you know, in the beginning of your book, you talk about how work does have the potential to be impactful and rewarding. And that's really what we're all looking for. Why do so many of us experience then in such negative ways?
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a number of reasons behind that. And one is, I think, just historically, we don't think of work as something that we can find fulfillment in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for so many of us, work is just about survival. Um, It's just about paying the bills. But I believe, Jeff, that all of us are hardwired to really want to make a difference in life, not just make a living, but make a difference. So I think it's kind of the historical perspective of work and what that looks like. I think another one is living a life on purpose requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of effort. And I love the quote, and I don't know who to cite for this, but I heard it a long time ago, is it's better to run towards what you want rather than to run away from what you fear. Mm. And often what we want and what we fear are one and the same, but (laughs) we get into our comfort zones and it's really easy to just say, I'll just stay with the status quo. I won't push myself to go outside of my comfort zone to find purpose in what I'm doing or to, you know, find a different opportunity that might mesh well or better with my passions. So I think that's another one is that sometimes we're afraid and we don't want to pay the price to find a occupation or a position that that really lights us up. It gives mm. us passion. Um, I'll give one other kind of example, but I, I talk a lot about this in the book too. Is It's hard to find purpose in your work if you've got a manager or a boss that you you really don't gel well with. And so that manager, that leader role becomes so significant in terms of whether that person is simply a command and control type of person versus someone that really wants to help us develop and grow. So that can obviously skew our perceptions around work and whether we see it as a, a calling or a necessary evil,
1: You mentioned discomfort. I, I like to call it dancing with discomfort or riding the wave of discomfort. those mm-hmm. fears are nothing that uh, we're ever going to fully conquer, right? Uh, we've got to learn to to get the butterflies to fly in formation, so to speak. And I think to your book's point, you know nothing worthwhile happens without sacrifice and, That's right and hard work. Well there's a phrase and a story you tell early in the book it's the burn the boats uh, story i think many of us have heard what does that phrase burn the boats mean to you in the context of 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 company culture
0: Yeah so obviously you're right that metaphor is fairly common but it's it speaks to Hernan Cortez back in the 1500s crossing the the Atlantic Ocean with a troops of about 600 people trying to conquer the Aztec empire. And when they get to the beach, before they go and confront the enemy, Cortez says, I want you to go back to the boats and I want you to burn them. And obviously the metaphor there is, is significant. You either win or you die trying to win. Mm. And, and I think that's true in, in enterprise or in our organizations too. We have to have certain things like our values, like our purpose that are non-negotiable that we are willing to perhaps uh, sacrifice short-term profitability whatever is necessary in order to make sure we're aligned with who we are as an organization what our deep meaning is and why we exist as an organization so i believe that the best organizations have a line in the sand in terms of what is acceptable and what is not and what what are the core values and things that make the company tick, and they they refuse to sacrifice those, even if it means it may ultimately affect the bottom line or employment choices, et cetera.
1: Hmm. I know you're a fan of uh, Carol Dweck's work, the book Mindset. Talk about growth mindset, a growth mindset as it relates to company culture.
0: Yeah. So I, um, I love, that's Actually, one of my favorite books ever, one of the most impactful books ever, Carol Dweck talking about growth mindset, which would essentially say, you know, at the end of the day, I have the ability to continuously learn and grow, that that whatever hand has been dealt to me in terms of my genetics or DNA or things that have happened around me, I have the ability to rise above that and continuously uh, improve myself, become a better version of myself. And, and I think it's incumbent upon leaders in any organization to instill that mindset within their people, because it, it is not a, um, a fun place to work when you feel like you as an individual or your team has no ability to impact or influence the success of the organization. And, and I think, again, leaders have that responsibility to make sure that their people are given the opportunity to be empowered, uh, given the opportunity to be creative and even from a failure perspective, that failure is okay as long as we're learning from it. Mm. And we are taking steps to improve going forward. So I think that mindset is just as powerful in the corporate sense with a collective group of people as it is for individuals.
1: Mm. Uh, Jamie touches on something early in the book that I hadn't really thought about, at least not in this this way. And that's the idea that other than organized sports. Uh, Everything in our adults or early adult years is about individual achievement, right? And it's not until we enter uh, the workforce that suddenly realize that success is entirely interconnected with the people around us. Uh, Jamie, share a bit about how uh, this manifests itself in the context of you know, individual employee rock stars, say, versus what can be accomplished uh, as a group?
0: Yeah. To me, this is a real fascinating topic because, you know, you're right. And I talk about this in the book that in our youth and in our early years, it's all about, hey, we've got to get the grades. We got we to gotta make the, the right score on the standardized test. You know, and, and that individual performance actually determines whether we go to school or whether we go to post-secondary school. It determines, you know, our job prospects, et cetera. And that is, again, you take that personal concept and you roll it into an enterprise perspective and it really does ring true. You know, there are what well, you mentioned, rock stars. I can think of a situation uh, in a prior organization where I worked where we had a rainmaker, a salesperson that was absolutely knocking it out of the park. The only problem with that individual was that they were they were throwing everybody else within the organization under the bus in order to do it. Mm. And everyone knew it. And this organization, unfortunately, didn't take the steps to address this with that individual. And therefore, the culture, as a result, was really impacted in a negative way. Mm. Um, so that focus on teamwork as it relates to the organization and not on individual success, it is really the impetus behind what makes an organization great or not. It's not about the individual performers. It's about the collective aspirations and and uh, successes of the of the larger team.
1: I, I know of one organization right now that a friend is employed at where what you just described, is is taking place where there's mm. a rock star that's sort of a cancer on the culture honestly and 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 to your point, it really takes brave leadership to say we'd rather die without you than win with you right
0: absolutely and you know what we don't realize is the collateral damage too mm. so the fact that those other salespeople understand what's going on and they see it, they're not performing up to the to the level that they could be otherwise, which many research would tell us that if we were to move that person off the bus to move them um, outside the organization, the rest of the sales folks would actually make that up and then some because of the the cultural shift and that they see that the leadership has their back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, Expound on what you mean when you say to, and I like this, pave the way forward and if necessary, get out of the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So, our, our responsibility, again, is as managers, and in the book, I talk about the difference in managers and leaders so our, our, and coaches. Our responsibility as coaches is really to know our people, to understand what makes them tick, and to be a sounding board for helping them get to where they want to go. Hmm. And so we have that responsibility to pave the way forward in, in terms of helping them achieve what they would not achieve by themselves. The example I use in the book is about the banyan tree. And some of us have probably seen banyan trees. Uh, They get to up to 100 feet high, which is impressive. But even more impressive is the canopy, which can extend for several acres, believe it or not. There's one in in the Indian subcontinent that they say could, underneath the canopy, could hold 20,000 people. Mm. Um, And so while it's important that leaders provide that protection and that cover for their people, think about it underneath the banyan tree, that canopy, nothing grows. There's no root system. There's nothing living. There's nothing thriving. And we can, as leaders, have that impact on our people uh, in that they grow no roots. They, They do not personally develop because they're they're depending on the the leader to, to, to kind of manage and, and control everything. So we have that opportunity and responsibility as a leader to, to pave the way, to help our people get to where they want to go that they would not otherwise be able to get to. But at the same time, hmm. sometimes we got to we got to let them go and we got to let them um, grow their roots and thrive on their own.
1: Something that I realized uh, not long after venturing out on my own and working for myself was was that I needed consistent accountability, and so that for me involved forming or participating in mastermind groups. Ever since then, weekly to provide that accountability that I didn't have any longer since I wasn't you know working as a part of a team. What what's the potential level of impact on goal? Realization, uh, in your experience, when accountability is involved.
0: I, I mean, it is it is absolutely massive. I mean, think about it. We are much less likely to achieve a goal or continue down a, a very difficult track if if we don't have someone holding us accountable. Mm. And, you know, and accountability really has a negative word, a, a negative connotation, I think, in our society. But the very best of the best performers, they want to be held accountable. We all want to know what the Whether we're winning or losing, what the scorecard or the scoreboard is telling us. So, you know, research would tell us that simply having a goal is important in terms of being able to achieve it. Consciously deciding that you're going to pursue that goal is important. But the one factor that's most important, even to the 95 percentile, is that we've got someone holding us accountable to that goal. So you can't overemphasize the importance of that, again, looking at it from an individual perspective, but from an enterprise perspective too, the very best employees find value and want to know where they stand within the organization. And and that's that's where accountability comes in.
1: What does your experience say or suggest is the effect of of recognition and motivation?
0: Yeah, and there's such a large body of research on this. It's really, really interesting. You know, the, in, the intuitive part of us thinks that throwing money at opportunities or throwing money from a recognition standpoint is always the way to go. And, and what we find, depending on the job, depending on the individual, it may actually de emphasize that. It may actually have a negative impact. You know, I, I love the, the simple Napoleon quote that says people will die for the ribbon. And that's absolutely true. We all crave recognition. What's challenging and, and what is what we have to be cognizant of, though, is, is what is that recognition? And in many cases, Jeff, the, the recognition is simply uh, acknowledgement for a job well done. It, it's a personal handwritten note from the leader. I mean, there are a number of things that actually have uh, a significant more impact than than money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Again, uh, there's a particular study that would say 75% of the people in the, in the research indicated they would be willing to take a significant pay cut in, in order to f- have a job that they found purpose in, that they, that they could identify with, is aligned with their personal purpose. You know, recognition is absolutely essential in any organization. We all crave that as individuals. Um, but it's not always money. Um, It's not always money that motivates us and money may motivate uh, individuals in the short term, but certainly not in the long term either. So I think we have to it goes back to the idea of we have to know what drives our people and and we have to be committed to serving them and recognizing them in such a way that it motivates them versus just helping them financially. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really, really important distinction.
1: Yeah, I've read studies in, in the not-too-distant past with regard to income that suggest that once you know, an individual gets past about $75,000, any increases in income is, is negligible on, on motivation. In, in my work history, one of the favorite things uh, I recall when it comes to motivation were those handwritten notes, mm-hmm. those notes my boss wrote me in his own handwriting that nobody else knew anything about. Um, I mean, I, I enjoyed you know public recognition too from sure. time to time. Of course. But I really appreciated when he took the time to write that handwritten note, put it in my mailbox, and he and I were the only two that that knew about it. There was just something special about that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, just to add to that real quickly, the litmus test to me is really just to ask ourselves, a, a job like um, working in a factory on an assembly line, mm-hmm. which is a noble profession. A lot of people do it, and it's great. But I would prefer, if, if you were to give me 50% more in income for working on that assembly line versus the ability to, to be creative and innovative and, and do the things that I'm passionate about, I wouldn't hesitate to take the significant pay cut mm. to, to be able to have that creative side of me come out on a regular basis. So money is always important. You have to at least meet the, the minimum standard for that role, for that position. Um, but it does have uh, a sliding scale of, of impact over time.
1: Well, with regard to uh, hiring and, and recruiting exceptional talent, Jamie, what does it mean to recruit with a relational approach, as you call it?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I really uh, feel that just as leaders have a responsibility to, to know their people and develop relationships, it's absolutely critical from a recruiting standpoint that the people that we are pursuing don't feel like they're just a number. Nobody likes to feel like they're just a, quote, human resource. Uh, We want to feel like uh, we're special and that the company really desires us for not just what we do, but for who we are. And so I think recruiting from a relational perspective or approach is. Again, getting to know that person, but also selling the overall purpose and values of the organization. So you know you can hire the most technically savvy uh, expert in any given field, but if they're not aligned with your culture, uh, it's not going to end well. Mm. Um, and so I think as as leaders, it's incumbent on us again to to understand what's most important to the people that we are recruiting. and and interviewing that, that they, that we know they can not just do the job technically, but they're going to be in alignment and a good fit for our organization as it relates to the culture.
1: Hmm. Well, Jamie, I've got a couple of questions that aren't directly related to your book that I want to ask you about. Uh, But before I do that, anything else that I didn't ask that you want to make sure we know about with regard to the book?
0: You know the only thing I would emphasize again is kind of the genesis of the entire book is understanding that work can be so much more than just about making a living. Uh research tells us we spend 35 to 40% of our adult lives at work. And and so we want to make that count. We all want to be able to look back someday and know that we had a significant impact that we were a part of something larger than ourselves. And this book is really focused on helping leaders kind of develop that mindset within their teams and within their people. Because we all want to look back again someday and, and know that we made a difference. We didn't just make a life, but we made a, we made a difference.
1: You've, as I mentioned earlier, you've worked for some well-known companies over the years. I'd love to know maybe a favorite memory or two from working for, say, the Magic or, or maybe the Ritz-Carlton. Anything jump out at you as something that just you think back to as special moment,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. You know, a, a pe- certainly a period of time was when I joined the Magic. So straight out of college, um, did an unpaid internship. Back then, Jeff, you could get away, I guess, with uh, with not paying <laughs> interns, at least not a whole lot, and was waiting tables to help support myself during that internship. And that was the time frame for sports fans out there. Shaquille O'Neal and mm. the, the Magic were just kind of. Uh, Coming into their own
1: and remember it well,
0: it was a uh, it, it was it was a time where the kind of all NBAIs were were centered on the magic. And so I was working 60, 70 hours between the magic and, and working a part time job on non game nights. And it was it totally exhausting. Mm. But what I found and this kind of started me on my purpose journey, if you will, is I absolutely loved it. I was completely in my element. Um, I was in a in a profession that I loved. I was around people where I was learning and growing. And it was uh, it was one of the highlights of my life, even though I was dirt poor. Um, So looking back on that now, that was really a seminal moment for me, Mm. realizing that I have uh, I found that it's possible to have a, a job that you actually love and that you get up every morning excited about going to. So that's one of the memories for me. And, you know, the magic, unfortunately, uh, got within four games of winning a world championship back in 94-95 against the Rockets. And Mm. just being a part of that, even though we didn't win, was, uh, was something I will
1: never, ever forget. Well, I grew up an Indiana Pacer fan, so I know what it's like to get really close and not win <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the whole thing yes. back in the days of Reggie Miller and Mark right. Jackson and the gang. Um, well, you mentioned uh, Carol Dweck's mindset earlier. I know that's uh, near the top of your list. I want to talk about some of your favorite books in a moment. First, though, I'd love to know about your history with reading and particularly the impact that books have, have had. On your life, how would you say the habit of reading consistently and intentionally has played a role in your success? It's changed my
0: life, and, and that may sound you know kind of hyperbole, but it really has. About I guess now six, seven years ago, working for a particular organization that really promoted that, I began to read voraciously. It it, it just kind of consumed me, and I began reading you know one or two, three books a a, a month, and I began to understand that my ability to learn and grow was contingent upon things like reading and listening to podcasts. And I, it it actually um, motivated me to want to write a book mm. in many ways. The fact that I had read books and saw the stories from other people, there was something inside of me that as a result of reading that I believe has catapulted me to su- you know succeed and achieve what I've been able to achieve. I cannot emphasize to our listeners out there, and if they're if they're on the program, they're probably already reading. But mm-hmm. for anyone, the importance of reading is just it, it's paramount. So it's 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 really been a life changer for me.
1: Mm. Well, I want to give you a chance to expound on the impact that uh, Dweck's book has had on you and any other books that are high on your list of, of what folks should check out if they haven't already?
0: Yeah. So Dweck's is probably at the top of my list other than the Bible. I would put Carol mm. Dweck's book at the very top. Um, it also has been a, you know, kind of a life changer for me in the sense that, you know, it's really easy for us to feel victimized when things don't go our way in life. And, mm. you know, Dweck's book really taught me that, you know, you have the opportunity to personally kind of cast your your lot in life in terms of the things you believe, the things that you take action on. That book was uh, amazing for me because I had the perception, Jeff, and I think many people maybe still do, for instance, that whatever IQ you have at birth, you pretty much stuck with it. And your abilities, yeah, maybe you can move it a little bit. But what I found through Dweck's work is that that's not the case at all. Mm. And interestingly enough, I attribute reading to helping me uh, – become more, quote, intelligent mm. uh, to better understand the impact that I can have. And, and Dweck's book on, you know, around the differences between the fixed and the growth mindset was, was, was paramount from that perspective.
1: Well, what would you say is now ahead for you and your team that you're excited about and able to share? You've written the book. The book is out. You're promoting the book. But, but what's next?
0: You know, the the thing for me about the book is really just getting it out into the world because I do think finding value in the work that we do and seeing it as more than just a, a have to, but more of a want to mm-hmm. is really life changing. And so having the opportunity to be on a podcast and shows like yours and uh, speaking engagements and, and really just trying to get the word out there for me right now is is kind of priority one as it relates to my personal life. And then on the professional side, you know, I'm blessed to be with an organization in Chin Med that that is committed to, we talk about purpose, is committed to serving the underserved, the sick, the elderly, and the poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we focus on uh, Medicare Advantage patients that probably have not had a lot of, uh, necessarily a lot of positive things happening in their lives. And this is an opportunity for us to impact them in a, in a meaningful and, gosh, uh, long-term way. So uh, very proud to be a part of that and the work that we're doing as it relates to that.
1: Well, I just looked at the clock, and, and it hit me that we've been talking for quite a bit longer than I realized. It just flew by. It and did. I think that's, it, absolutely. <laughs> that's a good sign. Uh, Jamie's book, again, is called, and I actually misstated it earlier. It's not the pathway to purpose. It's Pathway to purpose. Uh, big ideas for fueling irresistible corporate cultures. Jamie, pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. And um, again, to all of the listeners out there, I highly recommend, obviously, the show and the principle behind it. Reading is absolutely essential, as you as you so often say, Jeff.
1: For more on how to connect with Jamie and links to the resources he and I talked about today, go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 380 for episode 380. Remember, too, you can grab my book coming out in late August for 40% off from my publisher, Baker Books, when you go to readtoleadbook.com. You can also register there at readtoleadbook.com after making your purchase for $500 in extra bonuses. There's a four-module video course that Jesse and I teach to help drive home some of the uh, teachings from the book. You get the audiobook for free as well just for purchasing a physical copy of the book and lots of other stuff too. You'll find it all at readtoleadbook.com. When I go all the way back to 2013 and I think of the first dozen or so guests I had on the show... They're all very special because they were the first dozen or so guests. And next week I get to welcome back one of those first dozen guests. I'm talking about Richard Shell, who is a professor at the Wharton School of Business. He'll be here next week to talk about his book, The Conscience Code. You're going to love it, I promise. That's next week on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.